Thank you for choosing the Authentic Wellness Podcast. I appreciate your time and attention. I invite you to listen with an open mind and a softened heart. No one has the same lived experience. Listening is the first step in our journey to understanding. So let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Authentic Wellness Podcast. I don't even have a guest today. I got family over because Dion <laughs> is my girl. I love her. Um, I love her animals. I love to see her pics on Facebook. And pretty soon y'all are going to check her out too. So without any further ado, Dion Thomas, please introduce yourself and tell the people all about what you do because you're a trendsetter. I don't know about all that. Thank you so much. Um, you know, it's always, I always hate this question and love it all at the same time, right? Like, so what do I do? I own the Ziva Group. I am an online business manager and virtual assistant. Um, that's what I do for my day job, so to speak. Um, I also own a ranch um, and we have cows and pigs and chickens and horses um, and all the livestock, um, looking to add a couple of goats and sheep soon. So the, 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 the uh, menagerie of animals is growing. Um, and there's um, a lot of reasons behind that. Uh, and so I will gladly talk about what makes me a, a trendsetter, as you call it. Um, and other than that, I, I do a lot of work in and around um, social justice and women's rights. That is uh, where my passion is. It's where I'm steering my business to provide the highest level of support is to organizations that have boots on the ground and are actually doing the hard work. Mm. So um, it's a little bit about me. I think that during the pandemic, uh, my work became easier and harder because yeah. folks suddenly learned what it was like to work from home. And they found everything that they loved and everything that they hated about it. And, but it became a little bit easier as organizations and companies discovered that people like me who are skilled at working digitally and remotely um, have a place in their business. Uh, they don't need to see me to know that I'm productive. So that's been fun. That's Absolutely. Been fun. And you have been working from home for many, many years prior to, let's say, 2020. What year did you start working from home? 2006, I believe. 2006 was my first foray into working from home full time. Wow. That seems like eons ago. <laughs> it feels like eons when I say it. <laughs> but in comparison to many of us who just got the opportunity to do it recently. Mm -hmm. right? That's why you're a trendsetter because you, it didn't affect you at all. And you were able to just assimilate, I guess. I mean, I would have gone to you had I needed that type of knowledge or that type of guidance, I would have come to you and say, Hey, how do I get through this craziness? Do you have <laughs> people like reaching out to you with those questions? I did. Um, I actually did a few. Um, I helped a few companies with the transition into working remotely because at first it was good and then people were burning out. So we talked a little bit about how to keep um, company culture going, mm -hmm. how to keep people engaged with the work. Uh, so I answered a lot of questions about how do you do this and how do you do that and trusting the technology. 
trusting the technology that exists so that we can do the work. Um, so I did answer a lot of those questions. A lot of them were funny. Um, and I enjoyed just like everyone else, the videos that went viral of people doing things on Zoom that uh, they didn't mean for their coworkers to see. Yeah. So um, I thought it was funny because everyone was suddenly concerned about the security. And I was like, this is not a security issue. It's a user issue. Right. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. I've been using Zoom at that point for years daily. So I was like, I've never had any of this happen to me. So I'm going to go with this is a user issue. Not a not a not a Zoom issue. And but. that was my thinking as well. I was like, um, that usually doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. You know, and it there wasn't a lot of attention brought to it. If you and I were in a Zoom meeting and somebody popped up with a cat head, so to speak, um, that was probably my fault because I clicked something. Or if somebody got into the room, well, we didn't have the waiting thing back then. Mm -hmm. But if somebody got into the room, it's because they had the link. They didn't steal the link. The email probably was forwarded or it was a reply all issue. Mm -hmm. So, but what I really want to talk about is your social justice endeavors. Okay. Please expound on that. <laughs> um, well, for a long time, I think that way back when, when I met you, we were talking, we had a, a, a huge and long and wonderful and amazing conversation. We did. Abortion care. Yes. Um, and I'm going to be very specific with the words I use because I think that the words we use are, are going to be fundamental going forward in this conversation. So we were talking about abortion care, abortion as health care, um, our own personal stories. And mm -hmm. definitively during, uh, during 2020, when we learned about um, Ahmaud Aubrey, yes, coupled with the pandemic, as a woman of color, we, we felt the weight of the world. Like I felt, I was, I felt very heavy and very burdened with yeah. trying to explain so many different things to people. But it was also in that moment that I decided that I wanted to make sure that I was in the room with people making decisions, choices, and how the work was getting done. So I started structuring my business support more, more social justice and human, human rights-based organizations, be it philanthropic, nonprofit, or just organizations that were actually walking the walk um, through their, their internal policies and things like that. Um, then it's, it's blossomed. It has blossomed. Um, couple of months ago, I was, you know, doing that thing where we're scrolling on the internet and I don't know, Facebook, LinkedIn, you got me. And I've learned, started learning about the Supermajority Education Fund, which is a organization that is, the idea and the premise is that women are the supermajority. We actually can create policy change with yeah. our votes. Our we We have the power um, in number to create, to affect change. Yeah. Um, so they had a program where they called it majority, they call it majority leaders and you apply to become part of a cohort and you basically go through the five uh, levels, the five tactics or the five rules uh, for the majority rules. 
And it has led to a number of opportunities for me to speak, for me to just in the short time that I've been part of the cohort and meeting new people, new opportunities. And so I want to continue my work with, I was a teen mom. So Mm -hmm. although I chose to be a mother, I'm very supportive of abortion rights and abortion care. Um, Not because... it's always a weird thing to me when people ask, you know, so you believe in abortion and I'm always, and I think I said it years ago when we talked, like, I don't, I don't know that I need to believe in a medical procedure. It, it, I don't know that I need to believe in it. It it is. is. It is. I don't know that I need, it doesn't require me to believe in it in some emotional way. Right. Um, And We've all heard the stories and seen the the things. And as we watch, you know, the draconian laws down in Texas, and we watch women who were even pro-life before facing decisions that they didn't understand were going to be a problem for them, um, like being unable to terminate an unviable pregnancy. Um, <laughs> yes. And going into sepsis and other issues um, happening because the process now will take so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and just hearing the the arguments for and against, um, I think it's actually honed in for me. You know, it's honed in for me that women, as women, we have a voice. Like I said, when George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, um, the one whose name is totally escaping me, the girl down in Kansas. Um, uh, Brianna Taylor. Brianna Taylor. I was like, I cannot. I was. I had the B. I couldn't get the rest of it. Um, as we heard all of these and we watched all of these stories take place, the 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 reality that as a woman we are called on, mm-hmm. we're called on to create a ruckus, but we're also called on to make peace. Yes. We are called on to explain, to educate, to to do that, and at the same time, told that we don't know what we're talking about. Mm. Um, we are called on, we're told to leave our emotions out of it. And yet we are called on to heal a nation. We are called on to nurture, to love, to support, to, to do all of these things. And so just the, the polarization of our role in current American society. Um, and then you add to that being a woman of color and the responsibility of being a mother and being, you know, being someone's wife. And in my case, especially, as you start talking about social justice and you start talking about the injustices or police brutality, being told that my opinion doesn't matter because my husband is not black. Mm. That somehow my blackness, my 50 years on the planet (laughs) are completely invalidated. Right. and processing that, not just having to explain it, but processing it for myself. Like, am, am I not black? Because, you know, like, am I not, not being black enough? You mm. know what I mean? Like, I'm not black enough because I, I, I fell in love with, I, I always said, I didn't choose a white man. I, I really never did. I, that was never a factor for me. Um, I did choose a man that respected me. Absolutely. I chose a man that valued me. Mm -hmm. I chose a man that was loyal to me. I could run down a list of things that I did choose. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, 
dealt with the argument of, well, why didn't you wait for a black man? And I was like, how long was I supposed to wait? Exactly. What, what was the expectation? What's the time <laughs> limit on that? Was I just supposed to stand around forever and like, okay, well, you don't qualify because you are absolutely everything except this one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, coming to terms and even processing with him through the reality for me is knowing that I'm married to someone who is not a person of color and having to process with him through certain things that he just didn't understand. And people are like, see, that's why you can't. I'm like, no, you you can say that. But on the same side, there are things that happen to African women that I don't understand. Yes. I'm black. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I'm black, we look alike, but I don't have that life experience. Mm -hmm. And so working with him through the life experience yeah through the experience and explaining to him why this is problematic mm-hmm. and having him understand like and 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 admit to himself i never knew that was a thing i yeah. never knew that was a problem so but how am i mad at him for something he never knew he didn't exactly. even know it was it well how do they not know because they don't know because he doesn't know them but the important part was that he was willing, he was teachable. He was, and it's still a, it's still a lesson. I think that people think that it goes away, it, right? It and that right. it goes away and that you change and you don't because he walks through life differently. Um, but what I can tell you is that I, I, w- I would love, I always tell people, I would love to say that it was me that makes him, he's never had a problem with people of color that mm-hmm. in his lifetime, that, that he can put a finger on, like, right. like I've never really thought that. But um, I think that one of the most important things has been him. It, I would love to say that it's his love for me, but really it's his love for my children. It's his love for my boys. It is his unyielding decision to be a good role model and be there for them. And that he's seeing things differently because now he's not seeing it. Like, this is what a black man is going through. He's like, wait a second. That's my son. Right. You know, he's, he's literally like, that's my son. What are you talking? And, and my husband is on the spectrum, which if no one knows what that he's on the Asperger's um, autism, he's on the spectrum on Mm -hmm. the high end, but on the spectrum, he's high functioning. And one of the things for him is that it doesn't compute because to him, that's his child. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't understand, like, he, and he, not, I don't see color because he sees us. It's, um, he's very protective and now he understands it from a different perspective. Yes. It's like, why would you say that about my son? He's my son. Like, what, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. That's, that's my kid. Like, I don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so. I totally get it. Yeah. So that's different. Um, you know, and through my work and through learning and reading more and being more outspoken, I recently had recently over the last couple of years, as we've seen the atrocities that have happened to to, um, Native Americans here in this country um, and the indigenous people, it is the first time as a, as a black woman that I've had the opportunity to be an ally. Yes. And to realize that I don't get to tell them I'm an ally. I get to just be one. Mm -hmm. And it's a weird place. And it made me look at my counterparts, those those women 
um, that like me want to work in anti-racism, want to work in women's rights, want to work in different things. It is time for me to realize that when I would say to them, like, you can't really make yourself an ally. You don't get to determine that this is okay for you. You don't get to determine that you fit in this space. I'm now realizing that that was, it was, it was eye-opening to be in that space. Mm -hmm. To not be able to tell someone that I was an ally, to not be able to, to have to um, take their cue. Right. To know if it was okay you know, that I could speak on something. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's, that's just where I'm at now is realizing my place and the magnitude that is held by women of all nationalities. Um, you know, because I feel like white women are the keepers of white supremacy. Um, they use it when it serves them. Um, Mm. black women, we keep, we are somehow responsible for all of the teaching and all of the learning and all of the um, education on, not just on racism, but on anti-racism. And and indigenous women are teaching us about what it was like to send your child to school and then find out that on the way home, they had been picked up and taken to a residential school because they could better educate your child and processing what that must have, how would I have responded? Yes. You know, and then you hear thousands. It's, it's, I think it spoke volumes to the same as I don't want to forget anyone that was brought here as a slave and, or was, was, um, you know, hung in, in during the Jim Crow area era, or I don't want to, I want to remember every name, just like I, just like I want that. I want to, I want to be able to document those names of those slaves and and all of those things. Um, Mm -hmm. I wish, I hope that we can name those children. I hope that they have names, not just there were 6,000 children Mm -hmm. and the process, the the mindset of 6,000 children and living in a country where we wanted the name of every single person that died in 9-11 and realizing that that is still not as many people as children have been buried between Canada and the United States in residential schools. Yeah. That's so humbling a little bit for me. Absolutely it is. And just your, just listening to you just now just really made me um, put in perspective my work because um, I've added doula work to my life coaching business. Oh my goodness. Yes. I, I've added it just because of, it's been a long time, Jane. It, it's been 17 years in the making because 17 plus years ago, my, my teen cousin was pregnant and I saw her through her entire pregnancy. The doctor was kind enough to allow me to be there with her as well as catch the baby when she birthed him. So I'll be forever grateful because he he's, she had him, but he's my baby. So okay. <laughs> but the, the baby I can give back. Um, those are good. The best ones. Those are the age. best. <laughs> so it's like, I went to his 17th birthday party and I'm like this, I felt the dream just emerge. And I said, you know what, now is the time for me to do this. Because at that, at that juncture, when she was having him, I wanted to be a midwife. Life happened. 
and I had to raise my own children because I was also a teen mother. And Mm -hmm. now I'm an empty nester. And I I figured, why the heck not? So um, fast forward to the ability to finding out that there's all these different types of doulas. I also have gone to become gone on to become certified as an end of life doula because there's oh, so wow. many people that don't have people there with them in their last moments mm-hmm. or everybody's fighting over inheritance and property and blah and blah, but not this person who is going through another form of labor, which is dying. Dying is work. It is. I wish I had known that those existed when my mother was exactly um, in 2005, when my mom was uh, leave, you know, when she was passing, when she was transitioning it. I wonder what a doula would have done, not just for her, but also for you, for me going Uh through the process as the primary caregiver, Mm. as her oldest child, as the, you know, because yeah. I'm, I had a doula with my with my youngest son, and I tell everyone, I would I highly recommend to women to do to figure out their birthing plan. I highly mm-hmm. recommend home births or birthing centers over hospitals. Hospitals, yes. I, I, the hospitals are just not conducive to the experience. To me, mm-hmm. to me, not to everybody. To me, right? Um, <laughs> of course, um, the extenuating circumstances and all that other stuff. Yes, I do think completely healthy. Go for a home water birth or something like that. A home water birth and a doula. I think that the idea for me was just because we go to hospitals, I think we've lost some, for some of us, we've lost the empowerment of childbirth. Yes. There is strength. Mm -hmm. There is power. There is, and I'm going to say a word that people won't like, control. I was very That's the only much reason that is the main reason I went into it to give the woman back her control. Yeah. So feel free. That's yeah. not a dirty <laughs> word. It's not a dirty word. I think that controlling that birth, I think that it sounds crazy when I say it, right? But I think that controlling the birth of my youngest son being in a position that was more comfortable, me physically being in a position that was more comfortable for me, you know, like this flat on your back idea is ridiculous. I'm glad they're breaking away from it, but truly letting a woman determine where her body needs to be, because intrinsically we know how our body is shaped Yes, and we know how our body works and what feels better. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I found it. I remember when the squatty potty came out and I thought, and they still got women laying on their back to give birth. Yes. (laughs) I I I, never understand that. But you know what you said again, I I mean, I may overuse this word, but what you said was powerful simply because it only sounds crazy to those who want to maintain control over you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, it doesn't sound crazy to those who know or like me, my very first birth as a teen mom was so traumatic that mm-hmm. I was like, I'm never doing this again. And, and I was like, I never want a doctor uh, to touch me ever again because mm-hmm. they totally violated my rights when I was up on that bed, made to push on my back. And I had the use of forceps. I had a suction cup and nobody got consent. 
from me. They just did what they thought needed they, to be done. Exactly. And then an episiotomy and all of that stuff. I can't even say all of that good stuff. But oh my goodness. I did the, they did the episiotomy for me and then didn't close it correctly. See? That's a whole other question. That's a whole other my so. doctor that I, the, the, the gynecologist, because even though I did a doula and a, and a water birth with my youngest son, I still had a, an OBGYN. Um, and my OBGYN, um, the biggest concern was that when I gave birth, she wanted to fix that because it wasn't properly stitched right. afterwards. Um, the episiotomy, mm-hmm. um, I didn't need the forceps, but I think overall, I do remember the trauma of, I have a very high tolerance for pain. Yes. Um, and as a, I didn't even know, like as a woman of color, now I look at that as, as not necessarily a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that moment, when I realized that the contractions were too tough, having a nurse look at me and be like, well, you made it this far, like very flippantly oh. because up until that moment, I hadn't had experienced a lot of pain. Um, and by not experiencing pain, I always want to preface this childbirth ain't easy. It hurt. It hurt. But when I say I didn't, I I wasn't, when I got to the point of pain, it was because it was at that point that I could no longer breathe through it. I could no longer tolerate it. And no one was talking to me. They were talking around me. Yes. And they were talking over me, but they were not talking to me. Exactly. And what I found with my younger, my youngest son, and after you know, help you know, being supportive of friends and this, that, and the other, was the point that I was at was because it was time to deliver, mm-hmm. and I wasn't on their time frame yet. Yes, so they were allowing me to not get into a comfortable position. They were not allowing me. They didn't believe me at that moment because I was like, okay, now the pain is bad. And sure enough, he was crowning Mm. before they took me seriously. And I think what, what are other people experiencing? Because with my younger son, my youngest son, I remember feeling him crown. I remember being able to, you know, get him partially, but because I did a water birth, I didn't have to like, I could like stop and breathe. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have to rush to get him suctioned or anything. There was no, and there was no push and it wasn't brightly lit and it wasn't, there wasn't, it didn't smell like chemicals and it wasn't noisy. And, and it was so much more of a relaxing experience and I'm convinced that it made all the difference, all the difference. And it made my experience with nursing and with everything. I made everything easier because I was able to do it on my terms and I was able to finish delivering him. Now there are medical reasons, scientific reasons, physiological reasons to move at a certain pace once the baby has crowned, but Mm -hmm. I was able to take a deep breath. I was able to, no one was screaming stop Mm -hmm. because that was my favorite thing after the head comes out. They're like, stop. I'm like, oh no, Mm -hmm. there's no stopping now. (laughs) (laughs) No, baby, he ready. (laughs) We're coming out. Um, But I was able to breathe. And so it was interesting to me that in that situation, I was able to breathe and, and slow down and then handle the rest more slowly and more 
you know, whatever. And how much better I felt when it was over. Because yeah. nobody tells you that part either, is that doing it that way, you feel better. So hats off to doulas around the world. I think that, um, and I'm happy seeing more women of color of all nationalities. When I say women of color, I mean everything that's not Caucasian or Anglo-Saxon white, you know, right. mm-hmm. um, kind of starting to get back to, for lack of a better term, taking care of them, taking care of our own. Right. And giving back the power that comes because no matter how you slice it, no matter what you think, bringing life into the world is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And I can say that as a person who supports abortion rights, bringing life into the world is amazing. But the care that someone needs during every step of that process, whether they choose to carry the term or not, um, and how many people could we affect? I'm not, when I, when, like I said, I don't believe in, believe in abortion. I don't know what that means, but I wonder what change we could affect and how we could better support people if we had the support for them to get through the process, whether, no matter what their choices were, mm-hmm. right? So like, if there was someone to say to you, you know, is this, are you ready for this? This is what it's going to be. Do you need anything? You know, do you need anything? Can right. I get you a glass of water? Like, and I want to tell everyone who's having a baby in a hospital to remember that, you know, like when you're with a doula, they're not nearly as hard on you about you're nowhere close to ready. So please go ahead and eat something. Like, it's not the same environment, like in a hospital, like, well, you're here now you can't eat. I'm like, I could be here for days. Right. <laughs> exactly that. And here. and that was um, part of my point when I, I brought up the whole doula thing is because I, again, this whole... I don't believe in abortion or I believe in it because it exists. Whether mm-hmm. you, you believe or not is irrelevant because it's a thing. Mm-hmm. And I have, I, I, I guess I was in the shower when I, it really came to me. It was like, there's the offering of the opportunity for me to be trained to be an a, abortion doula. Mm-hmm. Oh, and and I jumped on it and without even thinking I paid for the course paid in full and I was like because they're people too it doesn't mean anything that they they're not carrying to term there is still a woman going through a traumatic process and they need to be cared for and what's interesting is if they have if they have to for whatever reason because I'm not going to, I don't want to go into the reasons that somebody right. have a later term. By later term, I'm talking in that 20 to 24 week, somewhere in there. What folks don't like to think about is that they still have, they still go through the emotional upheaval that we mm-hmm. would consider postpartum depression yes. after childbirth. They still, all of that, all of those hormones, all of those things, are there still occurs Mm -hmm. and it's the side of I think the conversation the abortion conversation it's easy to say well then they should have just carried to term I don't know which trauma I don't know which trauma I could categorize as better or is there good trauma like I don't know not the, the, (laughs) the, 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 the termination of a pregnancy the birth of a child um and then the life after said birth, whether you choose to raise your child, 
put them up for adoption, no matter what you do, all of those things are traumatic. Now that would require us to know the definition of what traumatic means, right? It's traumatic. It's drastic. It changes things. How you're able to process that is, is what's different. Mm -hmm. You know, we've made, it's, it's very interesting to me that we make adoption such a beautiful story, but we don't make an unwanted pregnancy, a beautiful story. Right. And the choice to not go through that, and as a woman of color, for someone to tell me you have the choice of adoption, I just want to scream, go adopt a Black baby, and then come back to me. Yeah. Go adopt a Black baby, and then come back to me. Because until you take the, you know, hundreds of thousands of the, 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 what, over 100,000 children that are in foster care or in any sort of, you know, system, And so you can tell me that all of those children and that my black baby would be adopted. We have nothing to talk about. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm certainly not going to argue with someone that has a history of drug use and all these other things. Well, they could be a blessing. I'm like, is that what we're doing now? (laughs) Is that, is that how we're going to call that? We're going to say that a child born addicted a woman who doesn't care, doesn't love herself currently, we think that she's going to have the, the, the wherewithal to love a child. We're going to say that that's a better life. Right. That's a better life. Or the hope of adoption, because there's no guarantees. And there's no guarantee that, that, that they won't look good on paper for the adoption, because we, we haven't done anything to change the adoption system. At all. Or the foster so- care. Or foster care. So we we're still talking about a system where people can spend ridiculous amounts of money and still be abusive, but they can look good on paper. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I can say current, my current employment where I work with upwards of 530 sexually violent predators day in and day out, most of whom have been either neglected by their maternal caregiver, whether it was their mother or not, or been in a foster home where they were abused sexually or physically Mm -hmm. or emotionally. And this was the only meaning doing a sexually violent crime was their only outlet. Mm -hmm. So you can't tell me that I am a proponent of, or I'm supporting abortion, I, by becoming an abortion doula, what I'm doing is loving on this woman who is making the best choice or as she sees it, I don't have to agree with it. That's not my place to agree or disagree. My place is to care for this person who's making a very difficult decision at this point in their life and let them know that they are still lovable and deserve to be loved in this moment because this is not an easy decision. I honestly don't know of a woman that it was an easy decision. This is for. And so exactly. I'm really interested in the, the, I, the people that are like, they just took the easy way out. I'm like, I, I, I don't know who, you know, cause I don't know who, you know, right. Like, right. I don't know who your friends are, or what your circle is or whatever, but I don't know a single woman in my world that felt that terminating a pregnancy was easy. Right. 
they may have thought it was the best decision. Mm-hmm. They may have, it may have been easier than other possible outcomes. Um, it may, I can think of a lot of things, but I don't know. I honestly have not run across a woman and I'm not saying that she does not exist. All right. I have not run across that woman Neither that, I. that says, you know, oh, this is easy. I concern myself with like, well, people use it as a form of birth control. I worry about that because mm-hmm. I'm like, who is doing that and why? If you have proof that that is happening, um, which no one's really supported yet, um, <laughs> um, how, why, why? There's another why. Because right. no part of the experience is good or fun. It's painful and exhausting and humiliating at times. So what, what part of it is, is something that someone chooses to do repeatedly over and over again, instead of taking responsibility for their health or their, their, you know, what are the reasons? Are they in an abusive relationship where their birth control is compromised? Because those exist. Um, what are the, what are the reasons? I guess I just want to know what are the reasons. Right. I, I, I totally get that. And on the flip side, so to speak, if we know that this is an issue, what are we doing to educate and inform? So this doesn't have to be an issue. What are we making available to the women who are in these positions? Because other than shame and guilt? Other than shame and guilt, yes. <laughs> I'm like, other than shame and guilt? Because um, I, don't, I don't see any positive coming from that side. So if you see I, some, please let me know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I think it's such a tough conversation overall that I'm like, I don't, there's nothing good. No. Nobody's doing this and feeling good. And if they are, let's deal with their sociopathy, but let's not chalk that up to normal human behavior. Um, you know, my husband's former law enforcement, former military, and his attitude is no one takes a life in any capacity without feeling something. Right. Unless they're so unless they're a sociopath. There's no way in any way. He's like, I, you know, I was in the military, I was in law enforcement. You cannot take a life without having an emotional reaction. Because if you don't have an emotion, whether you process it or not is another story, but you cannot do that. And so while I don't necessarily see terminating a pregnancy as taking a life in the same way, I, I, I agree that no one goes through that without something. Whether their reaction is they choose to never have children, because some do. Um, they feel guilty forever. Um, whatever their emotion is. Like, I, I guess I'm just at a point where I'm like, whatever you feel is what you feel. And there's really nothing I can say about it. You know, there's really nothing I can say about how someone feels 
about that experience. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if that's, that's good or bad because it, it's all of these arguments are being made on assumption. Mm-hmm. And I think I feel that we should have reached the point where we're not assuming what someone else, we shouldn't be assuming what someone else's reality is. We, if we're the land of the free, home of the brave, all the opportunities, yada, 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 American dream. At what point do we just start, start being the Americans we claim to be? We're not ready for that. Oh, okay. (laughs) I guess that answers my question. We're not ready for that. Um, you know, just the other night I was in bed with my husband and we were talking about, I processed why the whole, the whole MAGA make America great again idea is troublesome for me. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of realities. When was it great and who was being affected by said greatness? What are we calling great in what capacity? are we referring to it as great? Right. And the reason I'm going to say that is I am second generation. My mother was born in America. My grandmother was not Um, on my mom's side. Mm -hmm. So I'm only second generation in America. And so I have a different perspective on immigration. I have a different perspective on a lot of those the, the the conversations that become intertwined but when were we great and at that moment in time what all was ha- not now not just the great parts that were happening right because there's some great moments in American history right but what all was happening and so when you say to me make America great again I'm just saying to you let's just make America great. We have the potential to be great. We, we, we could do it in this country if we were willing, but the first thing we would have to do, the first thing we would have to do mm-hmm. is come to terms with our past. Oh, okay. We would have to come to open terms with our past we would have to be able to accept that we we were hand in hand part of slavery we we, this country was founded built on the backs of black people you would have to accept that when black people talk about reparations today Short, I mean, I would take 40 acres and a mule. I know some people wouldn't, but I would take it. I would love it. I mean, I would take it. But um, my point is not that we, that I think that people get caught up on assuming it's the handout that we want. Hmm. And although on some level you want that, what you want more than anything, I think what I want more than anything, let me, let me take that out. Let me use my words. Is acknowledgement. I want them to have to acknowledge, and if it affects them financially, I'm okay with that too. The service that we did, that provided. I want it to be acknowledged that 
they would be nowhere close to greatness. And at no period were they great without us. Mm. They could not have done what they think was great without us. So we would have to come to terms with our past. The mistake in America, when I, the biggest thing that I struggle with when I talk about racism, social justice, any kind of human right type of thing is that not acknowledging the past is a surefire way to repeat it in the future. Absolutely. We see it in our lives. We see it in our lives. We don't want to acknowledge it. And I, you know, I know there's going to be some Bible thumpers out there that don't want to hear it, but we tell people all the time that until you truly repent or turn away from, or don't do something again, it will keep coming back until you learn the lesson. Mm -hmm. So to those who say it's so much worse now, I can't believe how, you know, you guys, you know, racism, no racism isn't bad. Now racism is just more visible. It has never gone away. It has just gotten hidden. Mm -hmm. It has never gone away. Racism is taught at your grandfather's knee. Okay. So how you were taught to handle it is the only thing that has changed. Its existence has never gone away. Never, ever. Never. Seeing the mistreatment has never, it has never stopped. It has just become visible. There is just photographic visible evidence of its occurrence. And while I understand that that might make some uncomfortable, it makes me cry. Yeah. I remember watching the George Floyd video and my husband asking me, why on earth would you watch all, all nine minutes of that? Why would you watch that? And my response was because his mother had to watch it. Yeah. Because his daughter's going to watch it. Because they have to go through it every day. And so the least I can do, the tiniest, the least amount of support I can provide is to watch what they had to watch, to see what they had to see and to feel it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I watched the video of Amon, uh, um, of, uh, uh, of George Floyd, when I watched um, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey running, jogging, whatever, mm-hmm. and people shooting him down in the street. Yeah, I watched the whole thing. I watched the whole thing. That particular situation, though, also taught me that I was human. Because just a couple of weeks ago, they showed uh, articles were out about the, the three perpetrators going to prison. Mm-hmm. And in the moment of looking at that, that news article as it, as it flashed across my screen, I had a moment of empathy. Now, I, I'm fine with the sentence they got. I don't care that I, I, I'm happy that justice has been served. All of that is fine. The empathy came from, came from a place of how many lives were changed Because as much as I want to focus on his family and what his family experienced and theirs, I'm thinking, what about the family members of those men that don't necessarily share their opinions, or maybe they do, but how their lives have been forever altered by their choice. 
And that is not me saying I forgive you or anything like that. It is me recognizing and looking around and saying, it wasn't just one person that died that day. It was one person that physically lost their life. It was one person that Mm -hmm. physically died. But so many things died that day. Lives were forever changed. People in their families, their you know, children or siblings or whatever, no matter what you believe, you've got to be looking at them now and then looking around the world and thinking, I am not on the right side of history. I don't know that I would have taken someone's life for that. Like, I don't know if they are, but I just wonder. I just wonder because as you get older, you change opinions on situations. You think about things differently. I had a moment of empathy for them, for the families, not just not for their families who are now grappling with at one, maybe everything they've ever known has been challenged and they've been found guilty in the court of public opinion, Mm. everything they've ever known about what to think or say or do around black people. It's all been, been thrown into. They can no longer have even the tiniest of misstep because people will say, see, yeah, that's just who they are. And they wouldn't be wrong, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't alter everything that they do going forward. And so I did take a moment to pray for them. I, I don't know that I'm praying for peace or whatever, just a moment to recognize that no matter how painful it is and how or how just I feel their sentence was, so many lives were affected by their choice. Absolutely. And some of those people didn't ask. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> that was heavy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't, oh, don't ever be sorry. I mean, it, it needs to be said. It needs to be acknowledged because it just does. Yeah. We're not going to get anywhere. I mean, the the mask we put on when we go out into public and pretend that everything is okay, um, it's one of two things are going to happen. Either we willingly take them off and deal with what is, mm-hmm. or we continue along this path that whether anyone wants to admit it or not leads to destruction. Because as the old people say, pressure bus pipes. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to end well unless we do acknowledge it. So I commend you on, on taking that step in your business because this is where we started mm-hmm. to support those endeavors mm-hmm. and to make the difference you can because that's all you can do is the best you can do. It's what you can do. It's the best I can do. And wanting to really be part of the, the conversations around change. Yep. Wanting to be part of the conversations around what are what what are gender rights? What what does that mean? What what does that mean? Um, what does you know, being an ally to the LGBTQIA plus, that's a long one now, um, community and recognizing that I, I don't have to understand every nuance to say, 
I don't need to shun that person for that reason alone. Like I don't need to, to make a generalization about all people. I can just learn to love and I can still face challenges. And yes. I think that the bigger idea around change, whether we want to accept abortion as legal, whether we want to accept interracial marriage, we could run down a list of things that cause you know, people, because Ariel is black, I don't know. Um, that's a whole other subject. Yes. White people and their need for a mermaid to be white or black. I'm like, she'd probably be green if she lived underwater, but okay. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, but wanting to, um, one, we can have the tough conversation. We'll be stronger for it. We'll be stronger for the tough conversation. Um, but wanting to really be in the room where those tough conversations happen, yeah. where we talk about what philanthropy really is and how philanthropy is a capitalist structure that really isn't rooted in doing good, where we talk about what it is to protest and get arrested for a cause you believe in, where we talk about these are issues that are on the table or laws that are being passed or bills that are being considered that we don't even know what's in it. We're fighting it, but we don't know what's in it. We don't know because it's 500 pages and no one's going to read all of that. Mm -mm. So how do we continue to do the work? And I think being involved, even from the level that I am behind the scenes on a more administrative level um seeing how it works and seeing how it happens and and being able to hear the stories being able to because I'm involved getting to hear the stories mm -hmm. and meeting people that I admire meeting people um hearing people talk um you know, I mentioned earlier the Supermajority Education Fund and doing their majority leaders program and doing all of that and just and not just the quote unquote famous activists that we've been exposed to. Right. The people that are like, I didn't know I was an activist. I didn't know that's what I was doing. I was just trying to protect my child. Hmm. Um, or give them a voice or or the people who are like my husband, they're just like, I don't understand. Why are we still talking about this? Not from a flippant racism is over from a place of none of the reasons that people are racist make any sense. So why are we still doing this? This yes. is just ignorance at this point. Why are we still doing this? Exactly. And taking a while to process that with in my head for when he would say that, like, why is this still a thing thinking he's not being flippant about racism? He's being flippant because in his mind, one person's skin is darker than the other, but that has nothing to do with anything else. That's it awesome. doesn't make them better at anything. It doesn't make them more entitled to anything. It doesn't make them just, it, none of that is, is important. And that's ignorance. It's, it's sheer ignorance. It's thinking that if you're an interracial couple, and I won't call out who brought this to his attention when they were very concerned when we got together if we were going to have kids because they were concerned that interracial children are all born with some form of being like mongoloid and i'm like what i'm like what if anything we make beautiful babies like what are you talking about oh, <laughs> like, what are you talking about but recognizing that that is still prevalent 
it's still prevalent. So it's just ignorance at this point. It's, and it's the idea, it's the Bill of Rights that America has sold predominantly white men is that the only way that you can continue to maintain your superiority, your greatness, your, your, your eliteness, your better than everyone else is if everyone else is less than. Hmm. That's the only way you can do it because one day they'll rise up, they'll wake up and they'll realize that they're the same, you know, that they can do what you can do. And then what? And then what? They're going to start doing things like crazy. They're going to start playing tennis and golf and oh my goodness, (laughs) you know, they're going to, they're going to start doing all these things. They're going to start, they're going to be like me. They're going to go hiking. They're going to, they're going to raise their animals. The funniest thing, do you know how many people are surprised that I own livestock and horses? Like it's so far-fetched that a person of color would own livestock and horses. Who do they think took care of them? Right. For centuries, who do they think took care of everything? <laughs> Here in America, who do they think you know, took care of the horses? Who do they think took care of the livestock? Who do they think did these things? Right. Um, so why is it so weird that I have them? It shouldn't be. That's just me though. It shouldn't be. <laughs> but you know, and that also brings to mind my my husband and I were were patronizing a, a local store. And they had country music on, which happens to be my favorite genre of music. And um yours too. Mm-hmm. Yay. I love country music. Yes. So there was this um, who was it? There's this, I think it was Brad Paisley or somebody that was on, and it was a, a real popular song. And I was um, humming along to it while the guy was helping another customer. And he just turned around and looked at me with this look of surprise, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Like, um, sir, it's music. It, it, it like literally comes on free from my vehicle radio. And I can listen. Right, like I didn't do anything. I just, yeah. you know. <laughs> I didn't touch your wares. I didn't try to stuff any down my pants or into my purse. I'm literally just humming the song and, you know, shaking my little booty to the little beat and whatnot. And he was just like, so taken aback by that. If, listen, if he was an old white woman, he would have clutched his pearls. Mm -hmm. Like that was the look. I'm Mm -hmm. like, bruh, it's just a song, calm down. It's it's available to me too on my radio. Well, and then (laughs) why is country music that is based heavily on bluegrass and Uh blues? Mm. considered white people music no idea why music when we get in you know we're not gonna have that conversation today about (laughs) spaces people wanting to be in different spaces but like it's just music yeah and we can play guitar and we can we can pick and some of us have country draws and we can do that nothing better for me i love to sing karaoke and nothing better than walking in and belting out country music and watching those girls just turn and look at me like who is she Mm -hmm. like how dare she sing that song or sing this or know the lyrics to this and like how dare you know or oh my goodness don't dance to their music because then they're like you know if you, we don't all do it in a line, I'm like, we do line dancing. We just call it the Cupid shuffle or the electric right. slide. It's all the same thing. And they're like, oh, you can line dance. Yes. Cause it's yes. the same thing. Y'all do the same routine through the entire song. It's not that complicated. We're good. Um, so just 
you know, just the idea that, yes, I listen to country music a lot. I listen to country music a lot because I don't have to worry about the lyrics. It started when I yes. had daughter around. I didn't have to worry as much about the lyrics being as raunchy. As raunchy. They could be, they can still be, there could still be some double entendre in country music. Exactly. Still stuff. But I didn't have to worry if my daughter was in the car mm-hmm. that she would be hearing lyrics or songs or ideas that I wasn't ready that I was not ready to process let me be very clear that I was not ready to process for her or ready um, to explain or you know just yes. have to worry about yes but that doesn't mean that I don't listen to other music I I think that's the crazy part is the assumption that if you like country that means you don't like R&B it means you don't like jazz it means you don't like um any hip hop. I like old school hip hop. I don't really like the new stuff, mainly because I don't know what the heck they're talking about. Oh, um, I'm like, what are you saying? Like, get just, um, <laughs> but other than that, um, R&B, some hip hop, um, neo soul. I mean, how about it's okay to just like music. Mm-hmm. It really is. It really is. It, it is. just, it really is. It's okay to like music, no matter what it sounds like no matter nope. wow where can we find you on socials how would you like to be contacted <laughs> if people want to stay in touch because I feel that we have just run the gamut of everything <laughs> and, and I mean you're just you are just the epitome of what a friend a sister friend would be and if someone wants to stay in contact how do we do that um, if they want to stay in contact with me personally or on, on that friend level, they just want to hear about, you know, the antics in my life. They can follow me just about everywhere at It's Just Dion. It's I-T-S-J-U-S-T and my name, D-I-O-N-N-E. That is where you will get the, the more um, <laughs> maybe off color sometimes, but you'll learn a lot about me, my, my ranch, my animals, um, my family, and my random beliefs. If you want to learn more about my work from a business perspective, you can follow my company. The company is the Ziva Group. That is T-H-E, the Z is in zebra, E is in Edward, V is in Victor, A is in Apple, Ziva Group. Um, and you can follow us just those that just that that simple, just about everywhere. Um, and you can learn more about the work that I do for my clients and the work and how I'm changing that work and shaping that work to support the causes that I believe in. Absolutely. And you are the OG of working from home. Let's, let's just put that out there. We're going to get that straight. I am. I am the OG at working from home. I can tell you everything from, you know, the good days, the good and the bad. Um, I actually have a, a blog post coming out talking about, it's not all, you know, yoga pants and messy buns. Um, uh, talking about, you know, the, the good and the bad. Um, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful life. You do have flexibility, not as much as some of the, the folks make it look like on Facebook and Instagram, but, um, (laughs) you mean you're not strolling through Target with your laptop? I am not strolling through Target with my laptop. Um, I actually work with three, screens on my desk four actually if you count um i have two laptops so and four screens total so if you it's funny to me people are like oh you could do it from your phone i'm like no i really can't right. I, I really cannot do this from my phone 
I really do need to sit at my desk and, and work, but yeah, I mean, all the things you want to know about working from home, how to delegate work when you hire someone to work for you virtually and how to, how to keep them in the loop. So lots of opportunities to learn if you want to follow me. And you are so well organized. I've been following your posts and I see all your little schedules and the things you have to delegate and do and all that. I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. But I'll Oh, don't be out. jealous. It takes time. It takes years. Mm. I think that some people are naturally organized. I'm a person who thrives in organization, but I'm not naturally organized. Um, and as I get older, uh-oh, as I mature, we'll say it right. that way. Because you know, um, the day over um, 25 <laughs> in his picture mail. Just want to put that out there. So don't you dare <laughs> say that old word. Um, as, as we mature, I memory is not what it used to be. So, you know, you can always follow me to learn all the tricks for how I keep the notes and how I keep it going. And, um, you know, the things I use to make my life easier. Um, but just know that there are people like me that love being behind the scenes, but recognize we also have a place, I guess, in front as well. So we embrace all the sides and all the things, all the things. Well. You are family and you are welcome back anytime because our conversations are always fantastic. I think so. I think we need to get the group back together. We do. I, I we think we do. need to get all of us back together for a for a reunion, especially in light of current uh, overturned uh, decisions, but just really talking about how it's affecting us in our communities. I think we should get we should get the group back together and see what we can do. All right. We're going to run it back then. Yeah, we are. <laughs> all right, Thank you so much for being Thank here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. As always, you are family, so you are welcome. Thank you. Nope.